Hello, my name is Greg Lewis. Welcome to the Young in Cotisol podcast, where we are teachers helping teachers. When I was 12 years old, my parents bought a large piece of rough land, which included a river that local people had for years and years used each spring for fishing. And a wedge of our land, about a 50-acre field of of grass and, and low shrubs, that lay between the paved road and one of the more accessible and popular spots for fishing. So this meant that people had to cross our land to get from their parked cars to go fishing. And we had no problem with this seasonal event. However, over time, we did notice that items that we had left in our own camping area uh, nearby were disappearing. And a lot of trash was left along the river where the fishermen kind of hung out. So my mother, she drew up a small poster and made several copies on this old Gestetner copier and wrapped them in clear plastic and then nailed them up on fence posts and and dead trees in, in prominent places between the road and the river. And the poster said, take only pictures, leave only footprints. As a kid, I understood this to mean Stop stealing our stuff and take your trash with you when you leave. As an adult, and as a person visiting foreign lands like Korea, my interpretation of my mother's message evolved. And when I talk to people like Rob Julian, I recognize that people have been arriving on Korea's shores for years and years and have been leaving something behind while taking other things away. And sure, there will always be the odd bad apple, the ones who leave trash and take away things that don't belong to them. But then there are people like Rob, people who leave a positive imprint on the land and take only memories and learned experiences. And in Rob's case, he has taken those experiences, that is language learning, he learned the Korean language, And he has taken those experiences and and what he has learned, and he shares it with anyone interested in preparing for their own journey to Korea or to enhance their current time in Korea. Rob teaches Korean to foreigners like me and has been doing so for years. But let's start at the beginning, shall we? Yeah. All right. So, uh, welcome to the show, Rob. Thank you, Greg. It's great to be here. You're in Canada now, in Alberta, right? That is correct. And so, is uh, are you from Canada? I am. Yeah. Been here most of my whole life. Was born not inside Canada, but uh, from two years old, and uh, kind of lived all over. Lived in Calgary, Alberta, till I was twelve, and then Kingston, Ontario, until I left for university, which I did in Ontario, and then. Came back out for a, a winter of skiing, and then went to Korea. Not a winter of skiing, like a Whistler? Uh, not Whistler. Uh, we lived in a little town in BC called Cranbrook, and we skied Fernie, Kimberly, for anyone familiar. Not a bad life, eh? It was all right. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> well, 
Is that mm-hmm. skiing or snowboarding? I don't know when which, which one came into. Uh, no, I'm a skier. I've tried snowboarding. I can do it, but uh, you know, if my son wants to pick it up, I'll consider you know whether sure. I want to keep him in the family or not. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. So after your university years in Kingston, then. Oh, sorry, after your skiing, uh, after your year of uh, being a ski bum, then that's when you went to Korea? That's right. Yeah, I spent one more summer just in Canada and uh, as I was looking for a job, and it was September of 2003 that I first went over to Korea. And so why Korea? Uh, yeah, you know, it's a question I get a lot. Uh, and, and Korea actually wasn't the important thing. Uh, but when I grew up in Calgary, my, none of my best friends were white. Like, I had some white friends, but my real close friends, there was a, a kid from Africa and then a family of five kids from Laos. Wow. And for whatever reason, and then, you know, we had some other friends or Vietnamese, and for whatever reason, you know, as fate would have it, that's just, yeah, I, what I grew up with. And then when we moved to Kingston, which is the total opposite, you know, pretty much 99% <laughs> white. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, that, that piece always stuck with me. And when I, yeah, after I graduated university, and finished being a ski bum, I was like, well, what am I going to do? And the only thing that made sense was to go to Asia. Um, Just go travel, explore, uh, and just, you know, for whatever reason, it was just embedded in my heart from from that young, from those younger years. And so where I went wasn't actually important to me. Hmm. But when I started looking into it, my mom said, hey, you know, you have a cousin who lives in Korea. And it was Uh a cousin, but it was a cousin that I hadn't even seen in 20 years. So him and I started emailing, and he lived in Sunshun, Cholanamdo, which is where I ended up moving to. And yeah, we started emailing, and he's, you know, he had nothing but great things to say. And so I was like, well, I'm sold. <laughs> so <laughs> so I went. Wow. Wow. Actually, I, I am familiar with the area. I was in Sunshun around 2005, 2006, seven. I, I was there for a little bit. Uh, a uh, girl I was dating worked at Sunshun University, and actually, I was at the end of a contract and I, so I, I spent my time cycling around actually. That's crazy. I, there's an entire possibility that we met um, because I Possible. worked, I worked at Sunshine University from 2000, late 2005, worked for a couple of years. Well, that's why you, you know, Melanie Stein. That's right. Yeah. And uh, uh, what's the name of the couple? There was a tall guy with red hair and uh, his wife. Tony? Yeah. Tony, Tony Shera. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. I still now and then chat with uh, with Tony. Oh, nice. Yeah, I knew Melanie. I was actually good friends with her son, Kurt, prior. I mean, yeah. honestly, Melanie and Kurt were pretty instrumental in me getting the job, much to the dismay of some of the people that worked there. I didn't have the proper credentials, but I had my obvious, obvious commitment to the Korean language and the culture. And, you know, they vouched for me personally. And so that's how I got in there. Yeah, Melanie, I still to this day consider her one of my my best, uh, most influential mentors in my life. Absolutely. She's good people. Yeah. She's great. Wow. Well, that's, that's interesting. How our, we, our paths probably did cross somewhere uh, around on the line there. You know, I always research people uh, before I talk to them as much as I can. Some people, there's nothing out there. You, mm-hmm. there is a ton out there. Oh, good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I get, you know, some people are afraid of that. It's good that you're embracing it. Uh, but so you, you spent, uh, it says Guangzhou. You, uh, you were in Guangzhou? Uh, no, Guangyang. Or sorry, Guangyang. Sorry. I'm, yeah, that's right. So my wife, who is actually from Sunchun, um, but when she came back, she was traveling. And while I had my first few years in Korea, when she came back, like we didn't know each other at this time, but she got a job in Guangyang. 
uh-huh. and uh, and she was a teacher. And so when we we dated, she lived in Kwangyang, I lived in Sunchun. When we got married, it made sense for me to move down the road, so I went to Kwangyang then. So I spent about half my time in Sunchun, half my time in Kwangyang. It was almost an even split. Right, and you like total time in Korea. We're talking eleven years. Eleven years. Yeah. Of, wow. Eleven years. <laughs> didn't didn't see that coming when you kind of stepped off the plane, right? I did not see that coming. I did see coming, like, I didn't see one year. I wasn't there for one year. I knew I was minimum two, three. Wow. I wanted I wanted to leave, like, I wanted to get to know the culture, right? Um, and I knew it wasn't a one-year thing. So, yeah, I didn't see 11, but I also, you know, knew it was going to be two or three. You know, that's unusual, right? Most people just kind of go for thinking they're going to stay for a year and either leave you know, before the year's up or or after the year, or they end up just staying for years and years and years. But you actually planned more than a year. That's well, yeah. I just I think I just went with the intention of yeah. I'm not going. I mean, I was really excited to be over in a new, entirely new culture and having again that upbringing and that kind of experience with my Asian friends. It was you know I knew I was there to yeah to kind of immerse myself in it for a while. So is is it partly that you just simply didn't want to go back home? Anytime soon? Uh, there's probably aspects of that for sure. Uh, you know, probably, you know, an, another entire interview could do. But yeah, you know, Canadian culture, things obviously I love about it. I'm from here. But there's other things that, you know, I've kind of always felt a little bit outside of the norm a little bit. So yeah, there was aspects of that. Absolutely. And so when you were in Guangyang, uh, I'm just I'm thinking back to Sunshine. We used to play Ultimate Frisbee. You you seem like you're a sports guy. You were into I think you started a rugby team. Is that I think that's in Kwangyang? Uh yeah, we started the rugby team. It was uh yeah, Kwangyang Sunchan, um, but we called it the Chunnam Aliens, so it represented the whole province. Uh so cause we had people come down from Kwangju and you know, different places and so yeah, we but we did most of our practicing in Sunchan. Yeah, no, I and I actually did play a little bit of Ultimate Frisbee when I first got there with uh-huh. probably the same crew, Tony and uh yeah, a bunch of people. Kurt was there and yeah, well, I, I did. I pulled a uh, Achilles tendon. I the think. Achilles. Yeah, that's not yeah. a fun one. Running and it popped, and uh, yeah, that took like six months to, before I could really walk again. I did that in university as well in rugby, and it, yeah, not fun. <laughs> so you've always you played rugby at uh, McMaster and then carried on again in Korea. Yeah, there was a a big period where there was none, but yeah, no, I played started in high school and then played at, at university. And yeah, I played a little bit like when I first got there in the first few years, there wasn't anything that organized. And so we would <laughs> we would travel up to different places and kind of just uh, join at whatever team. I think we joined the Busan, whatever they were called at the time, a few mm. times. And mostly I think we played on military bases, if I recall correctly. There were, like honestly, two or three games, two or three in a few years uh, is all I played. And then there was nothing... We didn't play again until I think it was 2009 that we started the rugby club. And is it still going? Sadly, it is not. Uh, we had one more year after uh, Ian and I, well, Ian left and then I left. And then I think it was in, went for one more year and then it, it folded. It just a large part of the core uh, wasn't there anymore. And we were always kind of struggling for numbers anyways, just being where we lived and, you know, yeah, how many yeah. how many people of people the small number of people that travel over actually want to play rugby, right? So you're kind of competing with a few different forces against you, but uh we did well despite that, but yeah, it just didn't quite last, so. Did it get to be like a, a intercultural so that you had Korean players playing as well? <laughs> you know, 
funnily enough, our team not really. It's not that we were against it. Certainly, it's hard to break in. Well, it just it was absolutely. Uh, you know, for whatever reason, there just weren't that many Koreans that played with us. And then in the tournaments where we did play against Korean teams, it never really went well. Uh, this isn't this isn't any kind of bash on Korea, but we found the the refs to be a little biased <laughs> towards their side. And mm. unfortunately, in a game like rugby, when you get that tempers flare, uh, mm. so I'm not even sure how many games we actually finished without there being without there uh, being a right. little, little little punch up or something. But uh, so yeah, we stopped getting invited back to those tournaments. <laughs> too uh i guess dedicated to your craft i suppose <laughs> yeah uh, for whatever for whatever it was but uh, but other teams definitely had some korean players and there was there was absolutely some some mixing it wasn't entirely foreign league for sure of but majority mm-hmm. yeah seems to me that you're yes you are a language you were a language teacher and are a language teacher but it seems like you at your core you're kind of a business person an organizer that kind of a person with what is that correct yeah i mean i think on paper that that's what it shows for sure oh okay so what is it not on paper well i think it's more just you know i think i get this from my dad for better or worse i just never really ever liked working for other people and so you know when we had when we had our school or my at my first school as you know i didn't have a lot of control went to the university and that's really where I felt I cut my teeth because, you know, with under good mentorship and then, you know, I didn't use a book and I created a lot of my own materials and I really started to kind of dial in that stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's like I do end up doing a lot of things for myself on my own. You know, I've never necessarily classified myself as a businessman, but other people absolutely would. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, you know, is it my desire to do business that's driving me or just my desire to kind of have control over the solutions that I create and, you know, the, the systems that I implement and whatnot. More of a blend of that, I would say. That's like a way of thinking, I guess. And it takes you, I guess it naturally takes you into business type things or, or organizing a rugby club. Yeah, I, I think so. And, you know, I think the Korean classes are a great example of that because it was really me piecing the language together myself. And then all of a sudden, you know, I kind of stumbled across some some findings that I was like, wow, you know, there's, I certainly didn't hear this in any books or, you know, and it's kind of the system to the language. And so that's when it was honestly a bit, bit of a divergent story here, but every time I went sure. out of Korea and came back, like I'd go for a, you know, home for whatever, or a vacation. And I came back, I always kind of had this, this period of, of the blues, you know, like, ah, I'm back here again, you know, and I kind of had this transition mm. period when I came back, it was usually cause some old guy, when I got off the plane, was like, you know, I'd be speaking English on the phone and he'd tell me to shut up. And <laughs> I was like, oh, great, I'm back. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there was one night where I literally it was like four in the morning and I literally popped up out of my sleep because I had heard enough friends being like, Rob, how, how are you learning Korean? Like, I'm going through this. My classes, you know, they're not very good. These books are not very good. Like, I'm just not getting any progress. But you seem to be doing well. And it like hit me. It's like, holy crap, I'm going to try teaching this. And I, And it was like, that seems like... Something I'm woefully unqualified to do, but like the idea hit me, and it's again, it's just back to that like, well, I, I think I have a solution that would help people, so I might as well try, and that's kind of what's what spawned that. So just to stick stick with that that vein of thought, so the the uh, the language academy, which is the Korean Digital Academy, it is now. Yeah, it wasn't always yeah. that, but KDA. I have it on my computer as KDA. When did that? When did you pop up in the morning, and when did you start KDA? 
Well, so KDA was like a version number two of right. the original. Yeah, you know, this is also dives down some, some rabbit holes and side stories, but uh, it was around the time that my wife and I started our English school and we started as a study room. But I actually got a phone call from home and it was, you know, my father had a, a growth on his brain and they didn't know what it was. And I was like, holy crap, you know, yeah. but I was in this, we had just started this business together. So like I was stuck. I literally like had no funds. I had no time. I had like, I couldn't go home and it was just one of the most gutting experiences I've ever had. And yeah. that's when it became clear to me that, you know, the, the marriage arrangement that my wife and I entered into is always going to leave us in this scenario where one of us is, is away from our family. And so that's what first spawned the thought of, well, what, what can, what kind of, and this, yeah, this went straight to business. Like what kind of business can we create that would allow us to be a little bit more location independent and, uh, through a very roundabout process, I'll save the story of that for another time. But I ended up, you know, discovering what they called at the time information marketing. And it was basically the selling of how to information. And for six months, I was like, well, what information do, you know, I was just really selling myself short. What information do I have that anyone would want to pay me for? And I was like, nothing really. I mean, yeah, I teach English. And it like, took me six months to realize, crap, I've been teaching Korean this whole time. Like, it just never dawned on me that that was the thing. And then when it finally did, I was like, okay. And this was like 2008, I want to say. Um, I was like, crap, you know, I got a camera set up in the classroom as quickly as possible and just recorded while I was teaching. And that's what became uh, LearnKoreanOnline.net, uh, which was the first iteration. And that lasted for about four years. And then, yeah, KDA started 2012 when I, you know, it was constantly like people were happy with the info, happy with getting kind of the process that I, that I walked people through in the language. But I was like, well, how can this be better? How can I make this a better experience? It took me a while to really figure it out. And, but it was, uh, in combination with learning about the flipped classroom concept taught by, mm -hmm. uh, what's his name? Simon Khan at the Khan Academy, um, right. you know, really blew my mind. It was like, crap, I've got the first part of that done already. All the information's there. So I hired Korean teachers and I set up the practice sessions to really implement that. And so that's when KDA was really born. Yeah. It was when I brought on the Korean teachers with me. Well, you certainly have, I mean, since you started and I don't know how many students you had or anything, but just, what we first said, you know, we have some people that we have in common in, in, in Sunshan just by mm -hmm. happenstance. But, I mean, I, I worked at another university up here in, in Sungnam near Seoul, and people here know you through taking your classes. You are connected to a lot of different people in Korea. Maybe you don't even realize how connected uh, you are, you know, that six degrees of separation. You know, yeah, yeah. You're, you're a little bit of a hub I guess. Yeah, you, uh, you know, it, it, I, you're right. I don't know, and it's actually one of the things that uh, I think you and I were talking the other day, like that I miss from like in-person teaching is that you get to know the people, you know, and and mm -hmm. online, like I don't, I don't quite know everyone who's there, and so that's that's actually a part that yeah, I'm not quite sure the scope of what goes on beyond <laughs> the borders of KDA, you know. Yeah, definitely different doing doing all this stuff online. Mm -hmm. um, I guess being, as I say, being a hub and the people you've met, and it kind of makes me wonder, you know, eventually you, you left Korea, but while you're in Korea, is there any one sort of a person like a Melanie Stein or, or, or a person that you met or an event, something that threw the switch so that you were then 
thinking, oh, okay, I'm going back to Canada. Like something that influenced my decision to go back to Canada is what you're asking? Yeah. I thought maybe you always thought you were going to go back to Canada at some point, but there's yeah. probably something that was is pivotal, I guess is the word. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, it's not the, uh, it's not the moment I'm most proud of, to be honest. I, I think I became jaded. It was time to go. I mean, I, you know, I kind of looking back, I always had a, I had two buckets I put everyone in. When you're there long enough, you get to see all this play out. And mm-hmm. there were people who left before they were before it was their time. Like, for whatever reason, they were forced to go home, family pressure, whatever, and they didn't want to go. Right. But there were other people that ran their course, and then they, they had to go. And I, it's a little bit more complex because, of course, my wife is Korean, my kids are Korean. And mm-hmm. um, so, but I hit this point where, Things that I, I think in my younger days, you know, like I love Korea and I, and in any, any joke I make about, you know, a downside or whatever, like I acknowledge that there's so many fantastic things about the country and like everywhere there's, it's not perfect. So, sure. but some of the things that I, in my younger days, I could kind of let, you know, I could pick and choose what parts of the culture I engaged in and I could ignore the ones I didn't like. And I think that changed for me when we had a kid and, and, and I, mm like my child didn't have that ability and things started, you know, I think they started just getting more accentuated for me. And I, I, I just started getting jaded. I would have a little bit of flare ups in terms of like temper, maybe when I was driving or again, I loved the style of driving in Korea because it was like the wild west, <laughs> you know, especially yeah, down, a little bit down where we were. And I, and I really loved it quite frankly. <laughs> Another side story. I remember telling my dad, "Dad, there's no stop signs over here. It's insane." He's like, "Get out of here!" I was like, "Dad, I, I don't see any stop signs anywhere." He comes over. He found a stop sign in the first three minutes of driving. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I think it was more a sign of me embracing the you know the the culture of driving there and not choosing not to see them. But but right. it became something when I started getting jaded, you know. And I think when emotion starts taking over, you know, the logic goes out the window a bit. And so yes, again, I'm not not proud of it, but I just. On the road, I you know I was was engaging a little bit more in those emotions, and and I was mm. like that was just a sign. It was we we're getting there. It was it was time to go. I mean, the other thing that influenced our decision again was our daughter, and the yellow dust was getting really bad. Uh, yeah. You know, it was, just, it was just getting more and more frequent, and I honestly got chest infections almost once a year because of it, and wow. it just the thought of what it you know if it was doing that to me, what it might be doing to my daughter, it was like, ah, you know, so it was the kind of, it was the culmination of a bunch of things. Um, and, and to your point that, yeah, there was kind of always a, I think we always knew we were going to go at some point. Um, mm-hmm. and so it just, it, it made that time right again. It's yeah, it's, it's not the, the time of my entire 11 years that I was the most proud of, but you know, it is what it is. Well, those, I mean, as in anything, it's the tough stuff that's uh you know or, or when transitions happen and you head off in another direction sure uh, what's nice is that you recognized it i totally get what you're saying there's people that get jaded but they stay and mm-hmm. it just becomes so ugly and it's really not nice to be around them uh so nice that you you know recognized it and, and uh you know made the the decision and made the move i think yeah not a bad thing at all no, it was more just some of my behavior, my acute behavior in those scenarios. Sometimes, you know, you're hard. Back. You're too hard on yourself. Well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'll ask my wife that. See what she thinks. <laughs> yeah. Next interview, I'll talk to your wife and get her story. <laughs> That's right. 
So if, any advice that you would uh, give to your younger self, you know, when you were you know, looking back and, and stepping off the plane in Korea for the first time? You know, I thought of like, I went through your questions beforehand and I, this one I gave some good thought to. And I think something I'm, I guess, pretty proud of is, is that I, there's not a lot of advice I would say to do differently. I think I went in with a very open, let's go experience this place and have a great time doing it. And that's, that's what I did. I feel pretty fortunate to have had the experiences and met the people that I met. And, you know, the world became a lot smaller because of it, where, you know, I could go into any English speaking country now and have a lot of couches to sleep on if I needed. So, but, but I wanted to come up with an answer and, you know, I think it would actually just be to go harder. Like, like with the Korean, with the Korean, like commit to it more. Um, You know, I did, I did really well getting to a certain point and then I let my kind of complacency take over. And what I did was, I mean, I, I got conversational and because I was there, I could keep learning through conversation. But, and so that's what I did. And I didn't, you know, keep really my hard focus on the actual, like studying and, and just going farther. And so I think if I was to go back and do it again, I'd actually really just hammer that home. And, um, you know, cause as, as time went on, not that I necessarily wanted to be on these shows, but you saw like, you know, foreigners, who could speak Korean started popping up on shows and doing different stuff. And, you know, I was always kind of removed. I was so far down South that I never really like wasn't pursuing that stuff at all. But you know, I, yeah, I don't know. So my, my advice would have been just to go harder and probably say yes to more, (laughs) even though I said yes to a lot. (laughs) Yeah. I'm surprised, frankly, with your answer, because I feel like you said yes to a lot. I did. I did. And there's just, you know, actually one of the other things I wrote down, this is one of my biggest regrets in Korea is that I didn't, I never went to Japan to go skiing. And I can't believe it. I look back now, I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> and, you know, I got caught up. Again, it was part of, for me, it's always about, it's always been about the people and the experience. You know, I got caught up in, I had a great time with people a lot. Uh, but yeah. sometimes that kind of put me into that pattern where I wasn't necessarily thinking outside of, well, what else can I do, you know? And, I would definitely get to Japan and go skiing. That is, <laughs> that's something that well, you I, can, you can still go. I think they'll let you in. I can, and I will, but you know, it was, the opportunity was right there, you know? Yeah. It's one of the nice things about living here is we are close to, you know, Thailand and Vietnam and Japan sure. and wherever yeah. you want to go. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's true. Well, you, your younger self, the advice to your younger self, I'm a little, I'm still in shock a little bit with your, your answer. Uh, <laughs> and, and also because you said you got to a certain level and you and you were having conversations with people, but it wasn't enough. I'm I'm really surprised at that because I thought once you're at a conversation level, it feels like that's your best avenue to go. But are you saying really you feel like you needed to look at it more structurally, the learning I just than just having I, a conversation? I think I just could have gone deeper and farther with the language than I actually did in the end. Like, you know, I, I obviously I, I got to a place that served me very well, but, you know, still like certain topics people could discuss on topics. And if I have no interest in like my language was very self-serving in a lot of ways, like if, if it was sure. a topic I wasn't used to discussing, I probably couldn't discuss it with you. You know, I didn't need, have the necessarily vocabulary and whatnot. So, yeah, I think... And now, too, like with our kids being five and eight years old and, and us putting a, a real prime importance on them getting the Korean language, Good. you know, it was like, ah, you know, had I had I gone further, I mean, and now I'm making the decision to 
quite frankly, dive back in. You know, I think you and I, through one of the programs last year, you know, I talked about learning Spanish and I've actually just yeah. tabled that. Like, I'm like, no, you know what? I noticed my motivation isn't there for that. But right. I look at my kids and I see my, my lifelong connection to Korea. I'm like, no, I think I want to go back. So, yeah, you know, it's just I think mm. I would have gone harder and, and farther with it. I think that's the one thing I would have. So, again, just a, my, my last question about this, yeah, it, yeah. as far as your, your Korean ability goes, because, frankly, I'm interested. You, know, you are my, I don't know if you call yourself a teacher, but I subscribe to your classes and to your program and, mm-hmm. uh, and love it, absolutely love it. When you're saying about your level and your, you want to get to a higher level, and I'm thinking, are you talking about being able to express yourself in abstract terms rather, rather than you know, things that are concrete around you or subjects that you're aware of? Uh, I just, you know, just filling in gaps of, again, you know, Korean people could have a conversation in front of me and there's things that I'm, I'm not going to follow perfectly. Um, just again, with, again, my focus on what I personally wanted to discuss and talk and what, you know, where my experiences took me in my language learning, like more just to flush it out so that, you know, I can cover all sorts of different topics. You know, it's, yeah, it's more just going deeper with it kind of across the board i think i want to finish off what i started you know and kind of even though you never <laughs> t- finish exactly there is no end you know we talk about this but um, oh here yeah. we come back to the infinite game again that's right the infinite game it's yeah. life-changing <laughs> <laughs> well also that that's uh, that's really interesting uh, for me get some perspective on what you're doing and uh just as a final comment on on what you're saying i think that you are too hard on yourself i english i mean i'm looking up new words all the time just you know it's just part of communicating and being a part of whatever's going on if it's something new you know no absolutely absolutely i think it's just i just i just know myself like in school and i think i wasn't this way when i first got into korean because it really fired me up um Hmm. but like in school you know i had the ability to do well in all classes but i didn't care i never cared and no one you know i would kind of vocalize like why why do i have to do this and no one through all of school could give me an answer that that worked for me and so i was like all right i'll do enough to pass but i'm not going to do much else uh unless it mattered and so like when i had to submit grades to university then it mattered all right i applied myself and got in and then so that mentality of good enough kicked in at a certain point like in my Mm. first while while with korean what was different about anything i'd learned in the past was i would learn something and I would immediately walk out my door and either hear it or be able to use it. And so it was so applicable to my life that the, it fired up the motivation for me. And I just kept going because again, that's what I wanted was to experience the people and the culture myself, not have to read it out of a book or hear it from someone else. I wanted my own uh, experience. And so that really motivated me. But again, once I got to that point where I was conversational, and I was learning more organically. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah, I let that good enough mentality kick in a little bit and just and my and my learning pace slowed right and i think what i could have done over the same time period had i kept that active uh, method going you know i just yeah so i'm i kind of want to go back and finish what i started yeah yeah yeah, keep keep at it i i I get what you're i I hear where you're coming from Uh, it's uh i guess it's part of who you are you you just mentioned about the infinite game and uh it it feels like you know that that whole idea of uh having uh 
you know, defining your just cause. Uh, mm-hmm. So the infinite game is this, uh, for our listeners, this is a Simon Shinek book. It's kind of come up in conversations in the past. And in that book, he talks about the, uh, you know, defining your just cause. It's something that's sort of larger than yourself. And it sounds like, you know, when you were in university, you weren't content with this, uh, you know, getting a good grade, that winning is a kind of a thing. You were kind of looking at the larger picture in the end. Well, I mean, it's nice of you to put it that way. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure people close to me might like my parents probably wouldn't put it that way. They'd be like, no, you should have just tried harder. And, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I don't know what it is for better or worse. I've just kind of. So your parents, did they, were they really, did they push you hard? Uh, I think they tried <laughs> for a while. <laughs> then they realized, you know, the, the level of stubbornness I have in me, which I got from them. So it's, you know, they're Fair aware enough. of it. Um <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's that that's a whole other um ball game. I think I I think I just always did things differently and and in my own way, and I don't I don't necessarily know why. Yeah, so my you know, my dad and I butted butted heads a lot because he'd be like, you know, why? Why you do this? Do it this way. And I was like, well, I don't want to. I'll do it my way, you know, right. and and it was kind of like I think it was a constant source of stress for them like how things were ever going to turn out um and you know it, and it's interesting to look back on how things did go you know because it wasn't the usual path and uh I'm very thankful for that but it wasn't always easy right it's not always the best path either but it is what it is and yeah I don't know it was always kind of just doing it my way for better or worse and did your father survive his uh, ailment yeah you know what uh it didn't end up being like there was it wasn't cancerous uh, it was just a growth on the pituitary gland that apparently is quite common a lot of people have it in their older years and don't even know um and so they shaved it off and yeah he's he's been fine ever since wow good good yeah and and, and so he, he yeah so both your parents are still with you they are yeah they are you got any brothers and sisters i have one older brother yeah uh, how's uh, how's he get along with your dad <laughs> that's a Another rabbit hole we could go down for a while. Uh, yeah, you know... It, this field is littered with these rabbit holes. <laughs> oh, man. Such is life, hey? Um, sure. Yeah, you know, their relationship, I'm still trying to figure out. Like, they get along fine, but they sure. seem to butt heads a lot more mm. than, you know, me and my dad butted heads. But they seem to do it more in a different way that I don't quite understand. And I don't know why. So, uh, age is a funny thing, right? Age, as we, you know, when we're young, we kind of argue with our brothers, but now we get along great. I mean, for me, I have brothers too, so. Yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah, me and my brother had our battles for sure, but we get along. We get along very well. And he's just an hour and a half. His family's an hour and a half north of us, so we get to see them. Oh, that's nice. Is that partly why you settled in Alberta? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's another funny side story. Uh so my brother, because I was 12 when we moved to Ontario, my brother was older. He was 16 and a half or 17. And so a lot of his good friends were back in Calgary. And so, yeah, he uh-huh. ended up coming back when he was like 21. And so he's been back out here. And then my parents, of course, were familiar with the West, having lived out here. But they're both from the East Coast. My, my dad's from Nova Scotia. My mom's from PEI. And they used to always talk about they had a little cabin. I mean a rundown shack, but it was, you walk 20 feet over a sand dune and you've got wide open ocean in PEI that they were going to go retire there. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't, I don't always, I don't normally use colorful language with my parents, but uh, one night I was very late in Seoul and I had had enough soju that I picked up the phone and I called them and I let them just have it. I was like, why in the world? And I'm not using the same language I used that day, but why in the world would you go back, you know, go east when, 
Pete's out west already is my brother. And I, when I come back from Korea, like I'm going to go back because I want to go to the mountains. Mm. Um, I was like, why would you do that? And they called me back like three weeks later and they said, you know, we thought about what you said and you're right. And I was like, well, what did I say? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, they reminded me. And uh, yeah, so it was kind of that they retired about, I don't know how many years ago now, nine or whatever, and and moved back out. So they actually live in the mountains, in the Rocky Mountains Wow. Three hours southwest of us. So we're right in the middle of my brother and them. And so it's kind of the culmination of that plan. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's been great. And so, yeah, family was, was a big part of re- moving here. Mm-hmm. So are you are you back to skiing now that you're back in Canada? I am. Not as much as I'd like. Uh, but <clears throat> uh, but I've definitely had some, some good powder days this year. And, uh, you know, I've, we've been skiing, getting the kids, you know, doing the work, getting them up on skis and this nice. season was was great because we got a, a good friend of mine that I lived with all through university. He lives in Banff, with his, which is an hour down the road, and our families have skied together probably three times this year already. And you know, oh, we just we had a day a few weeks ago where we're going down the hill, and we're at the stage where not a single parent has to like guide one of the kids; they can all get down on their own. And so it's like this new stage of all right, we're not quite you know, all skiing double blacks yet, but right. we're all skiing down the mountain here and, you know, having fun. So no, it's, it's, it's great that way. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. How about uh, rugby? Is uh, rugby in the, in the, you know, sorry, on the horizon here at all or, or part of your life? Uh, I came back and I played one season when I came back here. I didn't have the best experience to be honest. Um, and then uh, we had, we had Liam and time became like Liam's our second, our youngest child and time became a real, you know, tight commodity. And so I, you know, again, given the experience I had, I wasn't really fighting. I probably would have fought harder to, to keep playing if it was, you know, another team or something, but um, I didn't. And so I've only played one game in the last, I'm going to say five years, but rugby doesn't, it doesn't die in my heart. I'm, oh, okay. you know i'm now 42 and i'm like nope if rugby's on this year you know it might not be but because of covid but if it is i'm playing <laughs> you know and, right, right. and everyone okay. around me you know all my family is like uh that's not a good idea i was like well i don't care what you think <laughs> <laughs> still still the scrappy yeah, guy, still, scrappy guy still. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. well very good uh, uh your son's name you say is liam that's right yeah did, did you uh pick that name because it it kind of fit with Korean as well? Like, yeah. No, uh, not, not at all. Uh, I actually had Liam picked out for like 15, 20 years. Uh, I knew if I had a boy, he was going to be named Liam. Uh, and that's partly, it's just, I've just always really liked the name, but it, I also had a Liam, uh, that it was older than me played rugby together, uh, in high school and men and the men's team in Kingston. And he was always a big influence in my life. And so there was, you know, there was elements of that. And so, yeah, I, I just knew if we have a boy, if we have a girl, I don't know what we're going to name her. But if we have a boy, we're going to name him this. Um, <laughs> yeah. Turns out the rest of the world was thinking the same thing because it is by far one of the most popular names now. Like we know just there's so many Liams now. It's crazy. That's one of those things. Yeah. Names have they come in waves. It's weird. Yeah. Wow. So um, I, I'm, we're kind of coming to the end of our time here. You know, this series that I'm doing is called, I call it Now and Then, uh, okay. simply because, you know, people start somewhere. And uh, you started in Canada. Actually, you, you said you were born outside of Canada? 
I was born in Germany. My dad was in the Canadian military, and so I was. They were actually in Germany when I was born. So you like start in Germany, then come to Canada before you ever get to Korea. And Korea is like a vacation or exploring kind of a situation, not necessarily a go to teach English. I'm thinking, right? Well, I mean, teaching English was the vehicle that got me there, right? So that was what I had to do to continue the experience I was having. And then that. Uh, seems like the language is a huge part of what you're taking away from your experience in Korea and that is carrying on because of your, your business acumen, I guess, you're continuing to do that in Canada now. Yeah, I mean, it's not just the business. Um, yeah, I mean... I keep picking on the business thing because uh, I, I can see that you're involved in other businesses as well. Sure, yeah. I mean, that's... I don't know. I think my brain kind of is... I don't know. I, I learn things, and then if I feel there's another solution or a way of doing it, then I'll do it, you know? Um, so I think that's how that kind of happens. Uh, I think I've also just, over the years and doing my own thing, have become wholly unemployable. <laughs> so <laughs> I, don't, I don't have much of a choice now. It's like, you know, we're just going down this road. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Do, 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 do. My name is Greg Lewis. You have been listening to the Youngin Kotisal podcast. This episode is a part of a series called Now and Then, and this week featured Rob Julian, a Canadian who went to Korea to teach English and to learn the Korean language and culture. Rob and his young family recently moved back to Canada, but he continues to teach Korean to people planning to visit Korea as well as to people like me who want to improve their Korean skills while living in Korea. You can get more information by visiting Rob's website, koreandigitalacademy.com. While living in Korea, Rob did not become involved with Kotisal, but found his own way to share the English language with his students and to take home what he learned. My next guest, also a Canadian who has recently left Korea, by contrast, uh, she was involved in Kotisal and gives a different perspective on the value and importance of Kotisal to her Korean journey. Please join me for episode 24 when I talk with Christy Dolson from the comfort of her new Canadian home. Until then, my name is Greg Lewis. Stay safe and healthy. Bye for now. Yeah.